my first introduction to Elder Bangader came some 20 years ago when a younger brother of mine, returning from his mission, <clears throat> um, could talk of nothing except his mission president in Brazil. Uh, somehow that mission president made a powerful influence on my brother Bob, and, um, and I knew the mission president's name and very little else about him then, but it was Elder Bangader. He, um, he reminds me that he's crossed paths with me many times. He knows more about my family and its origins in southern Arizona than I do, and so I have to be careful about what I say there. My most recent powerful impression of him was as he taught us in conference some years ago that we could even survive uh, the loss of President Lee, and that there would be another prophet, there was another prophet called to leave the Church. And I, I remember then how strong a testimony and how faithful a man to speak as he did. He uh, has been a member of the First Quorum of Seventy since October in 1976. He was born in Granger, Utah served a mission to Brazil as a missionary and then returned there as mission president. He has been a stake president of two stakes. He, uh, he has been involved in uh, business in Utah. He has traveled widely for the Church. He's a powerful man in defense of the gospel and in testimony of the Savior. I'm pleased to, to be here with him this evening to listen to him, I invite you to give your attention, to listen carefully as he addresses us now. Elder W. Grant Bangader. What a delightful beginning we've had to this meeting this evening with this special music and the prayer by Brother Benyon. It's impossible to come to this setting without feeling a a spirit of excitement and uh, almost overwhelming awe at the gathering here of so many choice people who have come with devotion to the gospel in their hearts and a desire to carry forward their education. It becomes quite a task for any of us to adequately address you. And I, of course, earnestly pray that the Spirit of the Lord will attend what I say tonight and be with us all here. I have borrowed somewhat uh, for my remarks this evening from one of my wife's talks uh, given recently, and I hope I can do justice to it. Uh, the story that I refer to begins back in the days, since we've heard something, some reference now to our experiences in Brazil, to the day when I received a telephone call uh, from the First Presidency and thereafter had an interview which appointed me to be the mission president in Brazil. As we uh, presented this project to our children, our nine-year-old daughter was desolated with the thought that she'd have to leave home and all her friends. We did our best to settle her down, brought out some of the pictures and showed her uh, a few examples of the experiences we might have, and it comforted her a little, and she then I asked, how long do you have to go to be a mission president? I said, well, it varies. Some, 
some presidents go for five years and some go for two years. And she said, okay, let's go for two years. <laughs> it turned out to be five. We got together in our family at that time and decided that we needed to have a special attitude. We suggested that most families would look forward for 20 years or more, save all their money, and make great preparations to have that kind of an experience. And so if we were going to get that privilege, we had better enjoy it now. And out of that attitude was born one of our special family mottos, enjoy it. And I hope that I can refer to that tonight. We had some problems in trying to enjoy it. In the early days of our mission, referring to my wife's experience, we were there on a dismal day. A little child had been born to us ten days after we arrived, and that meant two children, two little babies in diapers. The weather was very rainy. The dryer didn't work. The clothesline wasn't of much use. The maid didn't speak her language, and when I came in to the home one day, she was in uh, quite a state. I suppose I should have given her comfort, but as I tried to show her some of the enjoyment that we could have while we were there in Brazil, it didn't penetrate until I stopped and suggested that someday in the distant future we'd return home. And when we did, <laughs> we would remember that experience on that particular day with a lot of good humor. We would laugh heartily as we told our friends about the hardships we endured in Brazil. Wouldn't it be a shame, I suggested, to go through all that experience and have the, so much fun in it in years ahead and not enjoy it now? Why don't we look at the bright side of it and, and enjoy it right now while we're here? Well, it isn't usual, usual that you can penetrate your wife's uh, difficulties that easily, but she saw the point and had the vision. And because of the attitude we developed, she immediately brightened up and began to enjoy all those otherwise difficult experiences. That has helped us in many circumstances up to the present time. Recently we talked with a young mother who was having a little problem managing her five children and expecting the sixth. And we all know that the burdens can become a little difficult. Uh, things were not smooth in her home. There was a tendency to shout and scream at the children and try to get them to do things that they don't do under that arrangement. It was so overwhelming that she sometimes suggested she didn't know how to handle it. We stopped her there and said, let's take a little perspective of your circumstance. Uh, think back on what you wanted to be a few years ago. If you were 35 years of age right now and you were not married, what would you rather be in all the world? She said, well, I'd rather be married and have a family. <laughs> that's right. That's what you'd really aim for. So you happen to have exactly the circumstances you would most of all desire. Now analyze what your training and background has been. You were trained as a school teacher. If you were hired to take care of other people's children, you would work it out very well to manage these five children. You have a knowledge of psychology and how to control circumstances. Just put that to work. And uh, you'll find that you have the full capabilities to deal with all your problems. I'm confident that she is able to do that. So we are able under 
many difficult situations to find our way out and to overcome what otherwise would be quite a discouragement. It is vital for us, as I listen to this song tonight, that we are witnesses to remember who we are and to keep our perspective. And what I really want to talk about is the assignment we have explained to us in the scripture that makes us understand something of our nature and of our purpose here in the world. It says that there stood one among them that was like unto God. And he said unto those who were with him, We will go down, and for there is space there, and we will take of these materials, and we will make an earth whereon these may dwell. And we will prove them herewith to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. And they who keep their first estate shall be added upon, and they who keep not their first estate shall not have glory in the same kingdom with those who keep their first estate. And they who keep their second estate shall have glory added upon their heads forever and ever. We must remember that we are here to keep our second estate. How then can we enjoy the experiences of the second estate? There is almost universally a richness in the various seasons and episodes that come to us in life. I am sure there are children who have had a miserable time getting through that period, but not ordinarily, and especially among the Latter-day Saints. We feel a richness in the background of our childhood. It's said in 1 Nephi that the time cometh speedily that the righteous must be led up as calves in the stall, and the Holy One of Israel must reign in dominion and might and power and great glory. I think for Latter-day Saints, although this refers probably more directly to the millennium, we have the privilege frequently of living almost under the protection that would be uh, compared to calves growing up in the stall. There are exceptions. Here, even at Brigham Young University, some of the calves have been way out in the sagebrush, if you understand what I mean. Uh, in the years that I attended here, I still remember my English professor, and as he struggled to understand the papers that we were submitting, he would frequently read one, and, and uh, he'd raise an exception to one of the expressions that was in it. He'd say, that's sagebrush, brother, that's sagebrush. If we tried to be a little too sophisticated in our writing, he'd say, that's jargon, brother, that's jargon. So we had a refining process going on that attaches to each one of you. But there is in each of these episodes of our life a great and enjoyable experience. In looking backward, I can relate to some of the tremendous blessings and opportunities that have come to me. I wonder how many of you have looked at the life of David of the Old Testament and imagine the romance that attached to the existence of that one individual. He was born into the church of noble parents, brought up in an understanding, no doubt, of the gospel as far as they had it. In his early years, he was sent out on the frontier, so to speak, to have the experience with the animals on the range. There he met the elemental things of nature, struggled with the lion and the bear, 
He had opportunity to give inward reflection, developed an, an artistic and poetic nature, out of which he composed great verses and became in his own right a musician, developed those talents. On an occasion, he visited the army and there met one of the greatest challenges we've read about. And as he faced up to that opportunity, blessed by the Spirit of the Lord, he suddenly overnight became the national hero, a great personality among his people. From then on, his life was marked with special interest and achievement. And he went on. I suppose if he were to live today, he would have been outstanding in almost every endeavor you could have imagined. He would have been the All-American or the winner of the World Series with his abilities. If he had gone to war, he would have received the Congressional Medal of Honor. He would have probably been called as one of the Twelve Apostles in his younger years, and so on. What a, an, an entrancing and inspiring experience David had. And it's good to stop there and not reflect too much on the mistakes, the later mistake he made in his life. But he does stand as one of the great figures of history. I believe that we can each one relate to a certain degree and perhaps in a lesser level to the things, the experiences that David had. I remember listening often to the Grand Richards. I think I'm one of the few men in the church that understands some of the things he said. He used to talk about when he worked on a header. If there's anybody besides me here who knows what a header is, I'd like to ask to, to meet you. But he could talk about his enjoyment out on the dry farm with the header, and I can relate to that. I think of the experiences of my youth when one of the greatest thrills was to see the old steam-powered threshing machine come chugging up the street and pull into our yards and set up that great operation. Those were choice moments. The opportunity to work and live with horses and to gain a skill that doesn't have a bit of value anymore uh, is something of great interest in remembrance now. Other things have taken over in our lives to connect us with our family, to feel the love of our home and parents, and to have that special tie that makes us feel so warm and secure and perfected or protected among them. Going to school, going to college, these are tremendous experiences in our lives. And uh, it's interesting to notice that many young people can hardly wait till they get these things over with. They want to leave home in the midst of one of the most precious experiences they have. They want to hurry up and get college over with so that they can go out and start really living. And I wonder why we don't start living now. Think of the privilege of receiving the priesthood and getting the missionary service. Some missionaries can hardly wait to get it over with. And then they're thinking about it and remembering it for the rest of their lives and wonder why it passed so quickly. Shouldn't they live it up? Courtship and marriage. Not the way it's often publicly portrayed, but in the sweetness and glory of refreshing and vital youth 
to be able to have that association that can be treasured in its special moments, not hurried through so that we can begin to live happily ever after, but to enjoy it now. I remember when I was taken into the military. No one dreaded going into the Army more than I did. I didn't know what was ahead of me. But fortunately, I found that I was involved in one of the most choice and uh, rewarding experiences of my whole life. I never dreamed before I was taken into the Army that I would have the privilege of flying airplanes. That was something you dreamed about. No one really got to do that. But suddenly the opportunity opened up and I found myself involved in a very interesting and rewarding and trying experience that I have been able to look back on with enjoyment but to enjoy as well during the period that I had it. To choose our life's work, to try to understand what we can do that will be of service. And here I think that every person who selects an activity should be sure that whatever they select is worthy of invoking God's blessing upon it so that they can know that they are in true service. It has often been said that a good business transaction must be a benefit for both parties, and that often is lost sight of as we try to take advantage because of a few dollars that we think we might be able to gain. To add to those life experiences the privilege of having children to rear them up. Uh, some parents think that it's an endless task, but suddenly it comes and goes. And at my age, you realize how fleeting those moments are. And if you haven't taken time to appreciate and enjoy that association and that experience while it's there, you have lost one of the choicest and most important responsibilities and experiences in life. And add to that church service, our callings and associations there. So let's not waste it. Let's not be in a hurry always to get somewhere. As we've taken trips with our children, the little children almost always get anxious after the first 15 minutes, and they say, when are we going to get there? You ever heard that? And we say, oh, it'll be hours from now, or maybe days. But they say, but I want to be there now. They can't wait. Why don't we enjoy the journey? You cannot possibly enjoy the harvest until after you have labored in the field. Discouragements are a part of our life. And it becomes sometimes the attitude of those who enter into tribulation or trial to look upon the discouragement as persecution. People in the best of circumstances can be discouraged or complain. Again, going back to the Army days, it's a God-given right for a soldier to complain. They have another word for it in the Army. But uh, every soldier is entitled to do that, and they do it with great effect. As I indicated that I had the privilege of getting into flight training and being what in what might be called a select activity, even there it wasn't all rosy. There was an awful lot of pressure, sometimes some real danger. 
if we weren't in danger of having an accident or losing our life, we were in worse danger of being chastised by our instructor. And they kept that pressure on us almost night and day, the pressures of the classroom, the pressures of hoping that you could pass the test. All that was trouble. And so many of our, our companions, knowing they'd rather be there than anywhere else in the world, still complained about almost everything that happened. It's a common attribute of humanity. Instead of being discouraged, why not look forward to what's going to happen in the future? You might say in the next five years, you might say in the next 50 years, but there are great things ahead. We then, who have the knowledge of the purpose of life, ought to let the gospel light up our life. I refer then to what we call the good news of the gospel, to remember always the good tidings of great joy. To begin to refer to that, I'd like to talk a little about Adam and Eve. These people certainly had a right to be discouraged. After they had transgressed, the Lord said, Out with you, I'm through with you. You're surely going to die. Didn't explain anything about the hope they may have. He just said, Go out and earn your bread by the sweat of your face. And so they did in obedience and struggle. As they labored through that process, it says in the scripture that they became parents and then they became grandparents. That means quite a few years had passed. And they still didn't know what hope there was. They heard the voice of the Lord speaking in the direction of the Garden of Eden, and he commanded them to offer sacrifices. So Adam started to do that. One day, it says, after many days, now you can add that up to maybe 40 years, after many days of hopelessness, Adam was offering his sacrifice, and the angel of the Lord appeared to Adam and said, Adam, what are you doing? I'm offering a sacrifice to the Lord. Why are you doing that? He said, I don't know. The Lord commanded me to. Then the angel spake, saying, This thing is a similitude of the sacrifice of the only begotten of the Father, which is full of grace and truth. Wherefore, thou shalt do all that thou doest in the name of the Son, and thou shalt repent and call upon God in the name of the Son forevermore. And in that day the Holy Ghost fell upon Adam, which beareth record of the Father and the Son, saying, I am the only begotten of the Father from the beginning, henceforth and forever, that as thou hast fallen, thou mayest be redeemed, and all mankind as many as will. What great good news that Adam must have felt, uh, what he must have felt at that moment, and Eve his wife, and they blessed God and were filled, and they prophesied, being filled with the Holy Ghost. There are other episodes of a similar nature. In Luke it says, The shepherds were out in the field, and the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. But the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. 
Now you may imagine what the great greatest news could be that you could receive. You'd all get pretty excited if you heard that Russia attacked us, for example. Uh, you could you may be able to imagine the news we felt when the Second World War ended and uh, the rejoicing in the hearts of humanity was overwhelming. But the, this news is so far above and superseding those rather minor events that it has no comparison. Another, as it is said, it came to pass as the women were much perplexed thereabout, coming to the tomb of the Savior on the first day of the week, there, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. What a thrilling moment to contemplate. And further, in our day, Joseph Smith in the grove, he said, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling me by name. How did he know his name? And he said, pointing to the other, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Further, three and a half years later, while I was thus in the act of calling upon God, he said, in his room, of course, I discovered a light appearing in my room which continued to increase until the room was lighter than at noonday, when immediately... A personage appeared at my bedside standing in the air, for his feet did not touch the floor. He called me by name and said unto me that he was a messenger sent from the presence of God to me, and that his name was Moroni, that God had a work for, him to do, for me to do, that my name should be had for good and evil among all nations, kindreds, and tongues or that it should be both good and evil spoken of among all people. He said there was a book deposited, written upon gold plates, giving account of the former inhabitants of this continent and the source from whence they sprang. He also said that the fullness of the everlasting gospel was contained in it as delivered by the Savior to the ancient inhabitants. What a feeling we ought to have as we take the Book of Mormon in our hands and realize that we have what was written on the gold plates and presented eventually to Joseph Smith, the prophet. There is more than enough in all these messages to fill our hearts with an overwhelming joy. And so I have a few suggestions about what we ought not to do. We ought not to get lost if we're members of the Church of Jesus Christ. We're all, all of us, on a mission. Again, this hymn sung by the choir, We are all witnesses. John said, <clears throat> that is quoting the words of the Savior, I have given them, he says in his prayer to the, to the Father, Thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they, the twelve disciples or apostles, 
are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. That same concept is literally true for each one of us, that we are not taken out of the world, but that we be not of the world. And so how do we avoid getting lost? Well, the commandments give us the understanding. As it is said in the 121st section of the Doctrine and Covenants, let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. Then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God. Reflecting back again to who we are, the Lord spoke to Abraham as he called him to depart from his country and go into a strange land. And he said these great and inspiring words, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee above measure, and make thy name great among all nations, and thou shalt be a blessing unto thy seed after thee, that in their hands they shall bear this ministry and priesthood unto all nations. Now, members of the Church do forget who they are. The Lord isn't happy about that. He's spoken to us a little out of the scriptures and uh, complained a little about how members of the Church don't appreciate all the blessings they have. The ancient Israelites in the day of Malachi complained to the Lord. They said, Your words have been stout against uh, me. No, the Lord said to them, Your words have been stout against me saith the Lord, that is, the people were complaining. Yet ye say, What have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said, It is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy. Yea, that work, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, that they that tempt God are even delivered. Have you ever thought about that as you go to church on Sunday morning. It's a beautiful day and your neighbor is out shining up his equipment so that he and his family can go out and really enjoy that day. And uh, how other people seem to go to Las Vegas or to Hawaii or some special place and really live it up. And we can't because we have duties to fulfill and commandments to keep. And we sometimes bow our heads a little and say, well, Heavenly Father, we've determined to keep your commandments, but we want you to know that we don't enjoy it very much, and it isn't all that much fun. <laughs> but we hope you appreciate the sacrifice we're making. Isaiah said something the same thing. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast, the Lord says, ye find pleasure and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Well, it is not pleasing to our Father in Heaven 
for us to complain about having to live the commandments and the pattern of life that he's given us. Because when it's all considered, the things that he has set forth for us in the great good news will bring us all the most marvelous of blessings. And so, in order not to get lost, and it is a struggle even for members of the Church, we keep virtue in our thoughts. We avoid what Peter calls the filthy conversation of the wicked. He referred there to the experience of Lot when he lived in the wicked city of Sodom. And he was vexed, he said, from day to day by the filthy conversation of the wicked. Oh, we have that all around us today. And we're not immune from it. And we have to put ourselves on guard. I can just refer to a few things that will recall to you some of these filthy conversations. Turn on the television and watch Dallas. And it's loaded. It leads in every direction to dishonesty, to uh, doing damage to other people, to adultery, to all manner of wickedness. I think the same thing is true when you look at dynasty. It's just another part of the same story. Some of you will be shocked if I mention MASH. But uh, you just put it in your mind and see if, if that's the uplifting vision that the Lord would like you to have all the time, to have people always seeing how much they can drink and talk about how they can arrange some immorality. It's there, and it's all around us, the filthy conversation of the wicked. And we need to give thought and protection to ourselves to avoid it. So back again to the call that sets us in a special position as the witnesses, as those who have been called to bear this priesthood and ministry to all nations. Service is what brings fulfillment. The joy of living this life is exactly as the Savior set it forth, not for self-fulfillment, but for service. In the movement for women's lib and for so-called equality, there is a constant pressure to get us to be free. And the cry often is, let's have self-fulfillment. Taken Self-fulfillment isn't a bad thing, but taken in inappropriately, it can mean not much else than selfishness. And service overcomes that. Calls in the Church to be called for the young man to be a bishop, for example. I think often in a little humor of what people think about the calling of a bishop. I recall the story of a man who was asked who he thought ought to be the bishop in a meeting, and he stood up and said, Well, I think those that want to be the bishop shouldn't be the bishop. And those that don't want to be the bishop, they should be the bishop. Now me, I don't want to be the bishop. <laughs> I suppose people do want to be the bishop, and it isn't a bad idea. You think of the honor and the glory of standing up in front of all those people and having the position of command and direction. When you're called to be the bishop, you know that the honor and glory lasts about two weeks.
Then you're in the harness and giving devoted service and an awful lot of sacrifice. But that's where the joy is. The glory and the honor isn't important anymore. But the things that have happened that have helped you to influence the lives of other people and how you feel the swelling within you when five, ten, twenty years later someone comes up and said, you blessed my life. You gave me insight and understanding that I didn't have before. It's the same thing that happens to you missionaries as you uh, hear those who have listened to you say, our lives were changed by the things you taught us. Same thing for a state president and a mission president, which has been in my experience. And to think back over the associations that have come into our lives because of those blessed privileges and opportunities is overwhelming. To know that we have associated with the greatest people on the face of the earth, choicest that could be found. To have been given the privilege of going to distant countries and knowing other people and finding the spirit and the power of God resting upon them as we find it among ourselves. As we go now to countries where the members of the church speak a different language, we don't notice it anymore. It seems all the same. The color of the hair, we just don't notice it, or the color of the eyes. I was approached soon after I was called to be a bishop by a man in a stake presidency in Salt Lake City. He said, I understand you've just been called to be a bishop. And as I uh, told him that I had, he didn't do what most people said when they come, came to compliment a new bishop. The usual conversation we had at that time, and maybe it's still current, is, I feel sorry for you. You now have the most thankless job you'll ever have in the church. But this president said, I don't feel sorry for you. He said, I congratulate you. If you ever wanted to be in a position to be on the firing line and give service to the Lord and bless the lives of people, you've had that. You now have that privilege. It's one of the greatest honors that will ever come to you. Such is true of all the callings that we receive in the gospel. And so again, another thing that we shouldn't do. Don't be a basket case. <laughs> there are those who are so worn down by their troubles that they need somebody to carry them around in their arms. Some people want to have a special dispensation for the young special interest or for the young adults or for their special group. They say the gospel doesn't fit us. You're always preaching families and we don't have a family. Well, because you don't have a family doesn't change it very much, does it? The gospel's still the same gospel. A third of all the adults in this church are single, and all those who aren't single will someday be single if they live long enough. And it isn't an unnatural state, and it's only temporary, and the gospel's still true. And so whatever we do counts. What can I do to advance the cause of the gospel? There was a great dedication in the in the spirit of this nation during the Second World War, before you can remember, most of you. But there it was expected that every citizen of this whole country would devote himself to something that would foster the war effort and help us to win the war. I think the country has never had a unity such as we enjoyed at that time. Everybody was working for that same goal. 
we have that same opportunity here as members of the church. And all that we do counts. Everything that I do in righteousness is helping to build up the Lord's kingdom. Now, one more don't. Don't forget to pray. And it's easy to lose track of that. A week ago, we were in this auditorium holding a state conference. I saw something I'd never seen happen in a state conference before. One of the high counselors flew a kite from right over there, right up across the, the congregation. I didn't know that was permitted in state conference, but he flew a kite. He got it up here, and suddenly the string broke, and the kite fell down. Well, of course, he used that as an object lesson as to how we can lose the connection. And the string obviously relates to our relationship with our Heavenly Father through prayer. It's real and it's literal, and it must be maintained. I spoke with one of our return missionaries a few years ago. After he'd been home six or eight or ten months, he said, why don't I have the same spirit I had in the mission field? I responded, I don't know. Let's talk about it. What are you doing now that's different than what you did in the mission field? You remember how you got out of bed every morning and you had prayer? He said, maybe that's it. I haven't prayed since I left my mission. <laughs> of course that's it. And. Uh, Happily, he caught on. Now, by my beloved brethren, I perceive that ye ponder still in your hearts, and it grieveth me that I must speak concerning this thing. For if ye would hearken unto the Spirit, which teaches the man to pray, ye would know that ye must pray. For the evil spirit teacheth not a man to pray, but teacheth him that he must not pray. The evil spirit is real. It enters into the hearts of members of the Church. And when you are told you mustn't pray, you ought to remember that the evil spirit is there. Saul, the king of Israel, was overcome by the evil spirit, and he was unable to pray, and he was led down to his destruction. How vital is this principle of keeping our connection with our Father in Heaven, making sure that our testimony is strong and vital, that we truly understand what we are called to in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Just a, f a final reflection on prayer. When you get up in the morning and offer your prayer, sometimes in a hurry, we are in danger of going through a rigmarole so to speak. That is, in our haste to get on with our activities, we repeat much of the same thing we said yesterday, and sometimes unthinkingly. If we do pray in this manner, we may present to the Lord a shopping list of the things we want Him to bless us with that day. Then we come home that night, and without having given much reflection to that morning prayer, we may uh, go through a similar rigmarole and present him with another shopping list that will carry us through the night. We need more reflection than that. We sometimes have been able to stop and perceive that the things we asked for early that morning have actually happened to us that day in a very quiet 
unobtrusive way, in a way that we almost didn't recognize. But if we remember what we asked for, those blessings have come. Frequently, many times, they come. We need to have that awareness. Otherwise, our prayers will not be acceptable to the Lord as we don't remember and pay attention to what we ask for and recognize the blessings that we are given. And I'll give you just one example there. A year ago, Sister Bangeter and I were out in our farmyard. The old Ford tractor was standing there, and she said, You've never taught me how to drive that tractor. I said, Get on. She got on, and I showed her how to start it. I said, Here's the clutch, and she's driven everything from a Model A on up, and so she knows what a clutch is. Uh, push in the clutch, and she put it in gear and let out the clutch, and it started to go. It was heading for a rail fence. She pushed in the clutch to stop it. It didn't stop. She said, how do you stop this thing? I said, push the clutch. Push it down further. And now she was flustered, and I was paralyzed. And here she was going right through the fence and couldn't stop it. It went through the rail fence and down over a bank into a gully and came up against another bank and stopped all by itself. As I followed the trail of that tractor, I knew that I wouldn't have been able to drive that tractor over that uh, bank and through that gully without having a tip over on me. But it had happened, and she was spared. No harm had come. And then we thought, of what did we had asked for that morning? Protection against problems and troubles and accidents and dangers. And we made sure we went to the Lord and thanked him right then for the blessing that had come. These situations are with us all the time. I offer to you my testimony of the knowledge that God has restored the truth to his people in the last days, and that we represent those who have been called out of the world to help in bringing salvation to all mankind, and that we are on a mission of service and devotion that requires us to live so differently from the way people live in the world. I think that ought to make us the happiest people alive. There couldn't be a more blessed situation than the one we have at the present time on the face of the earth. God bless you to appreciate and enjoy what you have. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.